All right, welcome to the Selfless Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tabatabai. We are brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Preston Quinn, per usual. And we bring back a very wonderful guest, a friend of the pod, and the host of the Horford Happy Hour Podcast, Anna Horford. Anna, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? I am on school break, so I'm doing great. Alex? <laughs> Lucky, I still have three more weeks before my break. So I'm doing fine, but not as good as you. NBA Semana Santa over here. I'm pretty happy. Yeah, so we have, Anna, we brought you on to talk about a couple of things. There's just some news that we'll get to. We'll start with that. Um, but in the lab portion of the program, maybe we want to do two things. First, we'll if we get to it, we'll talk about the All-Star game. Because uh, it was pretty exciting. Uh, or more exciting than usual, perhaps. Uh, but we also want to bring you in because we we've talked a lot about kind of the stickiness of talking about the trade deadline. And because you are associated with an NBA player pretty heavily, uh, we wanted to pick your brain about kind of like the morality about the conversations of the trade deadline that week and all of that stuff. So that's what we'll do later in the pod. Uh, but first, we will talk about the news. And we are at that point of the season where buyouts and last second roster additions and all of that stuff are kind of the topic du jour. So let me recap what has happened recently. And it's Tuesday, 5.30 Eastern. This could change pretty quickly. So this might be outdated by the time you listen to it. Uh, Gordon Dragic went to the Nets. Can I just pause there? Everyone is surprised by that? Mm, not really. Yeah. Oh, just, just me then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that. On my bingo card. Okay. Everyone else knew that was coming except old Cameron. Uh, DeAndre <laughs> Bembry uh, went to Milwaukee. Is that right? As did Javon Carter. Uh, Tristan Thompson went to the Bulls. Willie Cauley-Stein went to Philly. And DeMarcus Cousins is going to stick around in Denver. So things are moving and shaking with the buyout market. And it looks like the top of the East, I don't know how impactful these players are going to be. Before we talk about who the Celtics might add, Anna, we haven't picked your brain in a while. How do you feel about the Eastern Conference and where the Celtics fit in uh, in that Eastern Conference? Um, yeah, well, I'm feeling really great about our team, but I'm one of those like obnoxious fans who tries to um, just kind of be positive all the time. And there was like a lot of excitement early on in the season and um, you know, we were playing all right and people were kind of uh, being hard on the Celtics. And I was like, hey, give it some time. Like, this is a brand new coach. Um, mm -hmm. This is a brand new team. We need to give them time to gel. We need to give them time to find their chemistry. And I mean, I think we can all say they've definitely done that, um, especially the last like 10 games or so. So I am, you know, I'm feeling really good about the team. And I think the team is feeling good as well. And they're kind of feeling like they've finally found a solid identity. How'd you like that Sixers game? I mean, <laughs> I was elated. I tried to not be crazy obnoxious on Twitter because I knew the backlash I would get if I was. Um, it obviously was a really great win. And I know that the guys, anytime they beat the 76ers, they feel really great about it. Um, so I think everyone was stoked on it. And um, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the game. So, um, so yeah, it was good. 
I thought you might have <laughs> enjoyed mm-hmm. that one more than just a little. Person. Yeah. Alex it's always Justin. nice to beat Philly just because they're so they're so obnoxious. <laughs> you said it, not me, but yes, that's a specific mm-hmm. fan base. Um, Alex and Justin, what are you what are your feelings on the state of the Celtics and I don't know, like the world's smallest arms race going on in the Eastern Conference? On the one hand, I really liked the kind of turnaround that they were going on. You know, that nine game win streak punctuated by a blowout win over the Sixers. I'll take that any day of the week. So I'm feeling really good uh, for the most part. I do think I'm, I'm a little stung by that game against Detroit, which I thought was pretty winnable. And the Celtics just kind of let go of the rope at the end there. I'm not super pressed about it because the last game before the all-star break is always weird and people are a little bit checked out in general. Um, But that's just one of those games where it's like, you see that the Celtics have turned the corner. They're beating these teams that they're supposed to beat. Uh, You know, they're playing at this incredible pace with the league's best defense over the past two months or so that strikes me as just like, come on, let's take care of business against the Detroit Pistons who have won 12 games all year prior to that. But overall, I'm pretty happy. I was particularly elated uh, by the fairly seamless integration of Derek White into the lineup. I think he's just been an awesome fit since he got here. And uh, so I'm I'm feeling pretty good, especially given that the state of the East right now is super in flux. You know, we've been talking about the Bucks getting it together for the whole year. They're still kind of struggling, plodding along. Miami is obviously at the top of the conference right now, but they've had to go through hell to get there. They're super banged up. Uh, you know, the Bulls and the Cavs are both playing really well, but these are not teams that we've seen really have battle-tested playoff success in the way that some of the Celtics core has. The Sixers and the Nets, I mean, it's impossible to say what we're going to get from the Sixers and the Nets because they traded half of their team. So it really does feel like the Eastern Conference is wide open and the Celtics are stringing together some momentum at the right time for that. Absolutely. I don't have too much to add to that other than it's a little bit vindicating to see that more rapid ball movement has been producing the kind of results that I was hoping it would. And that this team was a team worth not getting really alarmed over. And those are two things that like I've been saying to people all season long and they're looking at me like I have three heads and Mm -hmm. It's, it's panning out in a way that's really fun to watch, um, you know, being in, in media scrums uh, virtually on Zoom every week. After a while, like some of the questions like, should we split these guys up? Have you guys heard it <laughs> talking blah, 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 blah? Like after a while, that gets really tedious, even for the media who, uh-oh, thought we lost it for a second. It gets really tedious for the media uh, over time, as much as I think it's probably even more so for the players. So to see some good vibes that are sustained and ongoing is really, really nice. Yeah. Kevin Durant, I think was really astute when he was like, NBA fans don't even like the NBA because we do, we love pie in the sky conversations about how are we going to build a championship core in five years when, you know, there's a game tomorrow. So I do think as much fun as it is to be like, Oh, Philly added uh, Willie Cauley Stein and Javon Carter is going to go to the Bucks. I don't know that X's and O's will pan out in a way that that matters. The Celtics are an interesting situation because they have to add two more players. With calling up uh, Hauser and Cornette, they have 10 regular contracts on the books. 
by Thursday, they need to have at least 12. So Anna, before we figure out who maybe they will add, as best you can tell, what kind of player do you think the Celtics need to add? And I guess they need um, to add mean, two of them. Yeah, so they need to add two. I think bringing on Derek White was huge. He has just fit in with this team so seamlessly um, because, like, the first person that comes to mind, you know, um, before Derek got here especially was we need another shooter. We need a sharpshooter. We need someone, you know, we can really um, depend on, even though, um, like, Grant Williams, he's been amazing. Um, and we brought on Tice to kind of help Al and, and um, Rob. And, you know, Tice works great with Al and um, Jalen and Jason. You know, they've all played together before. So um, I think those were two really solid additions. I think, um, obviously, you can always use more shooters on a team, right? So um, someone we, that we know is going to get the ball in the hoop. I think that's really important, especially when our guys are kind of having off nights and whatnot. Um, and I mean, the shooting this season, I think for everyone has been really up and down. And even for Al, like, I know I, I don't like talk about his faults a lot, but obviously his shooting has been um, a bit of an issue this season, um, which was especially heartbreaking when he hit that three against Detroit because I knew he was like so relieved that he hit that. And, I, and we all thought it was going to be a game winner essentially. And it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, someone who's going to come in, help this team be confident and, um, you know, be a team player, because I, I know a lot of people look at this team and they think, you know, it's Jason's team and, or um, it's Jason and Jalen's team. But I think the, the mentality and the mindset for most of the guys is like, we all have a role to play. So whoever can, fill those shoes um, seamlessly the way that Derek White has and the way that I think Daniel Tice will continue to do. Um, that's a great addition to me. So. All right. Well, with that said, Alex and Justin, any people that you, well, first of all, I don't know if you agree with Anna, but I, I tend <laughs> to agree. Um, but any names that you would add to the Celtics short list of guys that they should add and they, they have to add someone. So yeah. So there's two, there's two guys that I'm looking at right now that I, you know, we've talked a, a kind of a little bit on the pod about, you know, the kind of bigger, sexier names, names like Gary Harris, who I'm not sure he's going to be getting bought out or, uh, you know, maybe an Isaiah Thomas reunion. Again, that would be really fun. I'm not sure that that's in the cards at this time. Um, so in keeping with what Anna said, you know, looking at, players who can shoot, who can space the floor, and who also are like noted good team culture locker room dudes. One guy I've been keeping my eye on is Kent Bazemore, the Los Angeles Lakers, who is pretty much out of the rotation in LA at this point. I wouldn't be shocked to see Bazemore getting bought out relatively soon. His contract is currently, I believe, about two-ish million dollars. If he's available, that would be exactly the kind of guy that I would be hoping the Celtics would go after. Bazemore is a quality wing shooter and a noted good vibes, good locker room guy. So that's one guy I'm looking at. Another guy I'm looking at 
Um, not particularly known for his shooting, but in the interest of filling some minutes at the wing to give Jason and Jalen in particular a little bit of rest. Uh, and, you know, not I, I don't imagine this player will be, you know, a huge part of the rotation to whatever team he's signed on. But uh, the Celtics actually are somewhat familiar with him already. Al Farouk Aminu, who did a 10-day contract with the Celtics in which he ultimately did not play uh, any minutes for them. I like Al Farouk Aminu as just like a big wing defender who you can plug in and will immediately be a switchable guy in Ime Udoka's switch-heavy defensive system. Uh, I feel like on that end of the floor, he would be a reasonably good fit to fill that last spot. I think that uh, his there's concerns about Al Farouk Aminu's shooting for sure. He definitely is a uh, sub but he, he's he's not the best three-point shooter uh, that the Celtics will have ever seen. But if he's available, I think just giving him some run, uh, particularly as the season kind of goes on and you start to like try and rest up guys for the playoffs a little bit more, steal some extra minutes when you can, Aminu would be a nice fit, I think. I like that. Uh, Only other guys I would probably add into something like that would be uh, Michael Carter-Williams. He's got some size. He's been shooting it particularly well uh, from deep and can play either backcourt position. I don't really need a point guard, but they do need help on the wing. Uh, DJ Augustin for his shooting more so than as a floor general. Uh, and I'm also kind of interested in KZ Akpala. I apologize if I said that wrong. Uh, he's only 23. I think he's 23 years old. Um, he shoots it pretty well, like 34% for a forward, like a power forward. And, you know, he's young enough that he could actually be more than just something to to have for this season. We're talking about, like, getting guys for the deep rotation here. We, I don't think we're going to get anybody onto this team who's going to crack that new rotation that Ime has really dialed in on. So, to my mind, it, you only want to add some, you know, conditional shooting or some other skills, like – something something extra that you can add in particular situations so for a guy like him uh with some developmental potential as well i, I don't see any reason why not to uh, explore that so for anyone listening who's screaming at us what about isaiah thomas justin and i did a whole podcast on this last week so if you want to know whether or not the Celtics should sign isaiah thomas go listen to that episode because we got to keep it moving here so uh let me i'm just gonna pick your brains a little bit longer about uh, this new roster and kind of the feng shui of the new team. And then we'll hop into the lab for um, probably some more important conversation, quite frankly, but Anna, as best. You, oh yeah, Alex. Uh, sorry. Breaking news with regard to the Boston Celtics and who they are signing. Uh, just in <laughs> case we want to jump in on that. The Boston Celtics are planning <laughs> to sign forwards, Malik Fitz and Kalen Martin to 10 day contracts. Just throwing that in there. Well, <laughs> I'm glad that we uh, we did that. So they, but the, it's Oops. worth noting, those are 10 days. So it's not like those uh, gentlemen are locked in for the rest of the season. And so long as a an NBA player is bought out by March 1st, they can join an NBA team and uh, be playoff eligible. So Alex, thank you. I don't think it changed much of what we said, but very thorough. So, uh, yeah, you heard it here first. I don't remember the names. I, welcome to the team. Okay. Anna, as best you can tell, what is the most important update uh, for the Celtics since, I don't know, Christmas? And 
it can be dark white, it can be something that Udoka has done, it could be broader than that. But your number one thing that is uh, making you happy as a Celtics fan since Christmas. Yeah, I mean, our offense is finally going. <laughs> um, we're finally passing and, and we're moving away from a lot of the ISO stuff. And we're playing like a team and we're getting those extra passes in. And you can tell that there's just a lot more flow. It's a lot more, um, I wouldn't say effortless, but it's a lot easier. And before, like, it was like watching these guys in December, it was like, it, they were struggling so much to like produce like an offense that was working. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the guys, you know, were kind of in their head about it and just the way that we've switched up how we play on offense um, and, you know, um, making that extra pass and whatnot. I think that's made a world of difference. Um, we kind of went back to a little bit more of what we were doing in the very beginning of the season, which I think is a good thing. Um, Derek White and Tice, like I said earlier, I am a huge, like, I'm, I'm totally on board with them. I think that they're great um, pieces to add. And our defense has been so solid as well. I mean, you know, teams are like actually like worried to play us, which <laughs> for a while teams are kind of like, yeah, whatever, like they're bombs, whatever. Um, but yeah, now, now having teams like having to be like, oh, oh shit, you know, the Celtics are for real. Um, I think that that's been vindicating for a lot of the guys and they, and I think the most frustrating thing probably for the guys in the locker room has been that they have known this whole time that they've had this talent and this ability to play really well and to, you know, win the last nine out of 10, but it just hadn't been translating on the court. And so I think, you know, our guys are becoming, um, you know, they're, they're, they're playing unselfishly and, and I think that's showing. And um, so, so yeah, just a lot of positive things. So just a continuation of that, Al has been shooting way better from three. He's back to a, an effective. And uh, I like that you're talking about opponents being fearful. Uh, opposing defenses really need to worry about him from deep uh, once again. Do you think that that's a continuation of what, like, what you were just outlining for the whole team? Do you think it's something personal to him? Like, what do you think has been uh, helping Al get back into rhythm or was it just kind of a fluke in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is like the big thing I, I try to tell people is that first of all, like almost every basketball player goes through shooting slumps. That's a totally normal thing, especially when you've been in the league for as long as Al has. Like mm -hmm. um, so many of these kids that are playing now were like tiny children when Al started, you know? So um, he's been in the league for a long time. Of course, he's going to go through like slumps every now and then. And it's just, I think, basketball is such a mental game and a lot of people, um, don't really recognize that, especially like I've seen, you know, you see how players change. Like you see how like Steph Curry went through a bit of a shooting slump. Um, Ben Simmons has been struggling, you know, and just with his overall mental health as well. And, um, and I think people need to <laughs> need to be able to give guys some leniency, especially with, um, you know, Al having COVID twice and Jason getting COVID and, you know, so many of the guys have been sick and then they have to go play at this like elite level and people need to understand. It's not just like, they don't just like snap their fingers and they're back to like the player that they were, um, you know, two COVID diagnoses ago. It's not even a word diagnosis diagnoses, diagnoses. maybe <laughs> diagnoses. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, so yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I, I think that, 
it just, sometimes things just take time to click. And, and also our offense, I'm, I'm sure you guys can tell, like he's getting better passes now. He's getting better looks. Like it's kind of hard to, to shoot well when, you know, when the offense isn't flowing, um, when you're getting a pass, like half a second late, two seconds late, that kind of thing. And I think the guys have really been communicating with each other and, and have been watching film and paying attention. And, um, you know, they're fixing those little mistakes and it's definitely paying off. Alex, what about you? What between Christmas and today, what's the number one thing that you think is the profound game changer for the Celtics? The big thing for me is that the Celtics are actually pushing the pace and have been uh, pretty consistently. So this team is full of some athletic guys. We've got Robert Williams, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, even Grant Williams is somewhat athletic. Derek White is another guy. And the Celtics are at their best when they use their athleticism and natural speed advantage to, uh, to the rest of the team's advantage. So a big part of this is that because their defense has been so good, and in particular because they've been getting more defensive rebounds, this is allowing them to get out and run and attack in transition more effectively. And the key to unlocking this, in my mind, has been two things. One, Derek White, the addition of Derek White, a guy who is playing really fast to begin with, who likes to play fast and who uh, is kind of, if you watch the games and if you see kind of what he's doing when he comes in, he's an immediate pace change guy who will try and get out and run as many times as he possibly can in a single game. Uh, And the other kind of related, but I think important development is Marcus Smart being kind of more in command of the operation of the offense. They've really allowed Marcus to uh, become the point guard. He is now the guy setting up plays. He's the one bringing the ball across half court. They've, you know, we've been kind of calling for it on this podcast for a couple of months now. And uh, it seems like the Celtics are really starting to kind of heed that if they want to be the best version of themselves, that's a version where Marcus Smart is on the floor and is making stuff happen early in the shot clock, getting into actions quicker, moving the defense around and forcing them to adjust. So for me, the improved play of Marcus Smart and the addition of Derek White are leading the Celtics to play a lot faster. That's what I'm seeing. That's been the huge difference in their offense. Justin, anything we missed? Just a couple things, one of which is kind of related to everything we've been talking about, and that the team really seems to trust each other a lot more, uh, particularly the Jays and putting the ball in the hands of the teammates in you know important moments. And then also just this whole new concept of how they're using Rob Williams uh, kind of as like a roving free safety in the backcourt. I think that has been particularly important to supercharging their defense to the level it is now. I would say that one of the things that's been most helpful is they've played really bad opponents, (laughs) but maybe uh, that's all you need to get a little wind in your sails. It is, however, important to uh, consider that. Uh, And Alex, I'm going to put you on the spot in just a second to do exactly that because I want to tell you about betonline.ag. Football might be over, but basketball is at full steam for both pro and college hoops from all the latest odds and game totals, player performance props, and to where the next coach might be headed. Bet online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Alex, the Celtics are 34 and 26. There's 22 games uh, on the calendar remaining. 
I have on betonline.ag that their regular season win total is 46.5 and that, you know, that'll get you a minus 130. So given what we just talked about, Alex, you taking that or are you taking the under? I'm taking a slight over slight. I think that um, the schedule is tough and there's not a whole lot of games left, but given what I've seen from this team, uh, that they have an improved capacity to beat teams that they're supposed to beat. And that I think in general, the flux in the East is going to create them for them some opportunities to go out and win games that maybe they wouldn't be favored in. I like the Celtics around 48 wins, roughly 48, 49. So that's what I'm looking at. All right. Head over to the Bet Online website or use their mobile de- or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. It's not just basketball. Bet Online is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, as well as your favorite casino games. Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination and the fastest, easiest way to wager all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Bet Online, where the game starts. Uh, while we're <laughs> doing promos. Anna, uh, you want to tell us about the podcast real quick? Uh, yeah. So Horford happy hour season five, um, that is coming out shortly. It's been kind of delayed. I've had some big life changes. Um, I got married in December. Um, but my wedding is actually like a month away, like my real wedding. And luckily, um, Al has a bit of a break in games, which like never works out um so we're hoping he can you know fly he's like he's in the wedding he's a groomsman so um we're hoping that you know he can do a quick fly into michigan come to the wedding and then he'll probably have to like leave uh right away but yeah so a lot of stuff going on but season five is coming out i'm really excited and um we have some like really cool things to talk about just like life in general life during covid and um, as always, like introducing like my favorite wines and stuff, which if you're, you know, a wine person, um, definitely tune in for sure. Um, also if anyone's going to be at the game this weekend, um, they play the Pistons and I will be there. Like people always ask like, what games are you going to and stuff? Um, I have yet to go to a game that they have not won. So knock on wood, knock on wood, but like we should, we should get that win on Saturday. And if we don't, you guys can all blame me. So I respect your family privacy very much, but I feel inclined to ask, is Al the type of person who ends up on the dance floor or shies away from the dance floor? Dominates oh the dance my floor? Um, so if we, he'll be on the dance floor, but like, if, if we turn on some like Hispanic music for sure, but if it's, you know, um, like rap and stuff, like he'll probably be in the corner, like bobbing his head with his gorgeous wife. And, um, uh, you know, and he's got all these kids running around and stuff. So I don't know how wild he's going to get. Al is usually like, a, um, he's like, oh, if I want to get crazy, I'll have like a, a Heineken, <laughs> you know, like or <laughs> like a single beer, or like a glass of wine. So um, he definitely doesn't let loose the same way that the other siblings do. Um, but it, it should be interesting, especially because my husband is from England and we have about 30 people coming from like England and Scotland and they really know how to party and drink. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to see how the worlds collide and how Al is around all these crazy, like English and Scotsmen. Um, so, so it should be interesting. 
And I thought Al was contractually obligated to only drink chocolate milk as a way to unwind. <laughs> you know, we we might end up having to ask the caterers to bring some chocolate milk in um, for <laughs> Al. Maybe put some Baileys in it or something, make it like exciting, rum chata or something. I don't know. Um, but he's, he's such a, yeah, he's such a wholesome guy that... Um, I don't know how much partying he's going to be doing, especially because we're in season. He, he'd like never, he, he doesn't really like drink and stuff in season. So, well, but it should be fun. <laughs> huge, huge congrats to you and your family and privately, please, please, please keep us updated. We won't tell anyone. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, definitely. All right. So that's a good segue. I think we're going to hop into the Celtics lab and kind of the theme is, um, the stuff away from the court. And we have a couple of topics that intersect. The first being, again, as a fan and ostensibly a media member, we're almost like predatory the way that we talk about players at the trade deadline and free agency, things like that. So we want to Anna, talk to you and kind of share our thoughts on what is it like to be a player in that situation? Um, are we being fair as fans? Are we being fair as media, et cetera, et cetera. So Anna, let me ask you this. Your brother's name was reasonably out there for trade rumors. What What's the impact for him? And then what's the impact for his immediate family or the whole Horford family? I mean, what's something that fans are maybe forgetting in January and February in the NBA calendar? Yeah, I mean, so I think people really look at athletes like these guys are, they get to live sick lives. They get to make a lot of money. They have so many privileges in life. Um, they get to travel, they get to do all these great things. So I think people use that kind of like as a scapegoat to um, forget about their humanity and like just treat them like they're, I think I tweeted like people treat them like they're pawns um, in a game and it's just pure entertainment. And mm -hmm. I'm fine with people having opinions. I'm fine with people, you know, um, even like cracking jokes and stuff like that's cool what crosses the line for me is, um, you know, I mean, you guys know, like when you, when someone crosses the line, everybody knows it. And, um, it's usually some type of threat or, um, you know, specific like words that they use or slurs or whatever. I think at the end of the day, you have to remember that these are human beings as families. And one of the big things was like, a lot of people were being really hard on Ben Simmons. And, um, I kind of was like, you guys are treating these players like absolute garbage when like, if they were to God forbid, um, you know, take their own lives or something, you'd be the first one on Twitter being like, RIP bro, you didn't deserve mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? Like just these empty words, like, Oh, it's so sad that he did this. And then, you know, scroll through your own timeline and look at the things you've said to him over the years. And like, I think a lot of veteran players like Al, they just know not to get on social media, but a lot of the young guys on the team, um, I mean, when you're raised with it and when you do care about other people's opinions, it's almost impossible not to look. It's like, you know, picking a scab that, you know, you should just let heal. Um, so these guys are reading that stuff. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, they don't even read it, blah, blah, blah. It gets back to them. Like it really does, especially totally. if something like really blows up or, um, you know, if there's like a particularly bad tweet or diss or whatever it is, it does get back to them and it does impact them. I mean, think about how you would handle millions of people, um, wishing you would kill yourself 
or something right. bad would happen to you. And so I think we need to like recognize their humanity. And that doesn't mean you can't be hard on players. No one's saying that, but at the same time, we're saying like, maybe you should be a bit more careful with your words. Um, especially, you know, if something were to happen to these guys. So I think people need to be more mindful of that for sure. Right. And then the trade deadline and the free agency stuff, it's kind of the opposite. It's not bottom up. Hey, I'm a guy from a bar in Boston. You suck. It's, Hey, your employer should fire you or your employer yeah. should uh, move, move you across country. Justin, right. uh, you've been covering the NBA from afar, uh, for, I guess, I don't know how many years at this point, but a lot of your interaction with NBA fans is online. How has consuming the NBA kind of changed since you've had to make that? Anyone who doesn't know, Justin lives in Mexico City. So what was the question again? You consume, I think, sports through an online lens, perhaps more than most of us. Um, what kind of insight can you give us about like how, just how toxic or uh, missing the point that kind of environment can be? Well, there's been some good points, and we've we referenced them already in this podcast about how people don't really seem to be enjoying basketball so much as enjoying making themselves miserable following basketball. And I, I get some of the logic that takes people there, but the the starting point of treating the person behind the keyboard as a person, whether it is an NBA or in any other job that you have, it's, it's a good strategy. It's just just assume that whoever you're talking to is a real person with real fears and real desires and real worries and real problems that you don't know about and may never know about, even if you know them very well. So generally speaking, just be nice. It's not that hard to do. And you can be mad about the things that don't go the way you want them to without being hateful towards people. In the same sort of way that if I have a problem with a coworker or a family member, and because I'm in Mexico City, again, most of that has been remote, uh, you, you have to take extra steps uh, in, in this kind of a situation to reconnect with the humanity when so many of your actions are, are virtual. And one of the things that you can do about that uh, is just be a little more mindful with the language you choose to talk about these people in these social media platforms. When people start talking about the trade deadline, they talk about things like the trade block, which makes me super uncomfortable because once upon mm -hmm. a time, there was another thing where people got moved to places where they didn't get to choose where they were going to. And it was not a trade block, but a slave auction block. I don't use that term anymore because of that. I, I, I don't cast aspersions to other people, but I, I encourage you to think about that. Uh, language about owners and buying players and, and things like that. I avoid that personally. I encourage other people to consider doing so as well. And anything that we can do just to constantly reorient ourselves to the humanity of the people we are interacting with, whether or not they're NBA stars, whether they are, you know, like I'm pretty critical, for example, of Danny Ainge's last several years here, but like I've gone out of my way, particularly recently to also sandwich that with saying, he had a heart attack. There were other things going on in the world, like the pandemic. And, you know, it's very hard to do any job under situations like that. So contextualize things. Alex, thank you, Justin. I, that's, I agree. I mean, even the term asset, which I use without blinking, feels creepy if I really break it down. Mm -hmm. Alex, you and I are newer to the this side of the MBA uh, experience. I mean, we're zealous celebrities 
I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but we went from fans to media with like the most lowercase m possible. But um, how do you how do you think your thinking on this has changed now that you kind of see how some of the sausage is made and you have a little bit uh, more obligation to a level head? You know, it's tricky because in some ways, I think that my thinking has not changed too much from what it originally was when I got started as a fan. And I think part of that is just because of the sheer number of things that I now have access to as a fan to kind of educate myself about the game and how the game works that I probably didn't have or wouldn't have had in a different era. So one of the reasons that, for example, you see trade discussions popping up constantly and perhaps more so than uh, in previous years is because the amplification of social media can't really be ignored when we're having this conversation. And in particular, um, the proliferation of things like NBA 2K GM mode or trade machine, which I have literally been on five times today. Like apologies, Anna, but I've traded Al now like 90 different times. I've also traded Grant and Rob. I forgive you. Marcus. It's okay. Thank, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, it's interesting because on the one hand, we as fans arguably have more tools now to educate ourselves about different aspects of the game than we really ever have. We, we can look up advanced statistics in an instant. We can pull up old game footage on YouTube. We can do contract math on the trade machine apps. We can do all that stuff. But in some ways, we now run into this problem where fans are so educated about some specific aspects of the game that they start to kind of over inflate their confidence in their knowledge of kind of some of the more complex negotiations and the more personal dynamics that we've kind of mentioned that are going on behind the scenes. So can you find a trade that works in the trade machine? Sure, but that trade is in all likelihood not going to happen. And the reasons for why it's not going to happen are not going to be anywhere near anything you can access online. When GMs are making trades with other teams or when players are being traded from one team to another, there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics and behind the scenes stuff that you can't see because you literally don't have access to those spaces and to those people. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that make it very, very hard for the average fan to really like understand on a really sophisticated and nuanced level how these decisions get made, why they get made, when they don't get made, things like that. And I think if there's one kind of piece of advice that I could offer, it's that the trade machine trade that works or the 2K trade that works that you think will solve all of the Celtics issues, the chances of that happening are slim to none. And it's not because you're not an educated fan. It's not because you don't know anything about the game of basketball. It's because there's a million different inter interpersonal dynamics going on behind the scenes that you're just not privy to. So when in doubt, be kind of critical of your own knowledge of the game. And even if you consider yourself, as I do, to be a somewhat knowledgeable fan, approach that with a level of thoughtfulness and self-critique and self-analysis that you don't know everything and even the trade that you think 
will save the franchise is probably not going to happen, or at least it's not going to happen the way that you think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think all of it is just shifting the frame a little bit. Like, I am genuinely curious if Al would dance at your wedding, Anna, uh, because <laughs> I've, I've met Al fleetingly once or twice at a game, but like, I was one of many media people. He doesn't know who I am. We don't have a relationship. But he has been someone I've been a fan of for a long time. So I have a genuine level of curiosity and it would make me very happy if I on Instagram saw Al dancing at a wedding in a similar way to if I saw Alex dancing at a wedding, even though that's ridiculous because I know Alex and I don't know Al. But I do think that that's kind of worth, again, Justin, a little bit your point. Okay, so Al has given me a lot and I owe him a lot in return. And so I owe him that humanity. And I think a lot of us fans divorce ourselves from that kind of experience that you can open one social app and see a picture of Deuce Tatum uh, doing something cute and feel great joy for that. And then to open another social app and just eviscerate Jason Tatum to the bone for missing a shot. And it's, Alex, you were right. We have so many tools to understand the game from a really human level that I just, I think we need to connect dots in a way that is missing. I, I'm not sure. Um, and Anna, I also you... feel like our team is so likable. Sorry. Yeah. Like, like I, it could be so, our team could be so much worse. We could just have like, you know, all these like prima donnas and like dramatic, like toxic people. Um, but these guys genuinely like each other and, you know, Jason could go out every night and be like a mega douche and he's not like, and, and Al being like the team dad, wholesome. Like when people say bad stuff about him, he's like, what did I ever do? You know, that kind of thing. So like, I feel like our guys are really likable. So like the fact that they get the shit that they do is just, it's mind blowing to me that that, you know, one little mistake or one bad game or a couple bad games could completely throw off the respect that people, I think, should probably have for these guys who really love the Celtics and really love the city of Boston. And like, you know, they, they've all bought in. So so I think we need to kind of remember that and, and remember, like, we're essentially all, all on the same team. Yeah, just yeah. to jump in on that point really quickly. I mean, you can you can sense it if you just read the stories and listen to the interviews. Think about how excited Daniel Tice was when he found out that he was getting traded back to Boston. I mean, the words that he said, he spoke so glowingly of this team's culture and of the franchise and of his experience in Boston. It's like, you know, he basically said, from the moment I signed that contract in Houston, I was hoping that they would trade me back to Boston. And <laughs> that's not the case in a lot of places. There's only a select few franchises where players really have that level of commitment and enthusiasm to a specific team or organization, especially now when players are just being you know, tossed all over the place and flying all over the league. It, it is kind of special. And Alex, that's a great transition to where I want to go next with this. Um, I, I'm going to have you, Alex, summarize the Howard Beck Sports Illustrated piece, or at least the, the bits that you read about it. But basically, it talks about Zion Williamson and Donovan Mitchell and the expectation that they might seek to change teams. And again, Alex, in a second, tell us if I missed anything really important there. But it, it opens the floodgates of what a 
what's good about the ability to do that in the NBA? What do you lose in the NBA um, with so much player transition? And, and again, I think we're all team player here. So ultimately we want people to choose their own employers, uh, especially if a situation goes south. Um, but Alex, yeah, anything from that article? Can you just recap it for us real briefly? So obviously the big headline generating nuggets are, you know, the possibility of player trade requests. I think Donovan Mitchell, Zion Williamson, and Damian Lillard were the names that were kind of mentioned as real possibilities. But what's kind of hanging over the article that doesn't really grab the headlines in the same way is that a lot of this, a lot of what Beck is reporting is GMs expressing concern that this is going to happen, like other GMs across the league expressing concern that um, these the superstar players, particularly in the wake of the Ben Simmons holdout and then subsequent trade, are kind of starting to really flex their muscles as far as what they can accomplish, you know, getting traded to specific destinations that they want to go to well in advance of when their contract expires, like more than two, three, four years, which has potentially earth shattering implications for how um, trading and free agency is done in the NBA, particularly when it comes to rookie extensions. If Zion Williamson in particular is able to force a trade out of New Orleans before his rookie contract is up and still get the rookie extension money. I mean, that's an earth-shaking moment for smaller, um, small market franchises in particular. And so on the one hand, like it's always headline grabbing when superstar players uh, are interested in moving around, but there's going to be real implications uh, to, in particular, if Zion makes that choice and uh, if he's successful in making that choice. And the main implications of those will likely be felt in the next CBA negotiations because um, small market franchises, uh, not all, don't want to say all, obviously the Milwaukee Bucks are the champions. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are finding a ton of success with John Morant. Small market franchises can succeed in the NBA, but the odds are almost always harder for them than they are for your Los Angeles Lakers, your Golden State Warriors, your Boston Celtics, your New York Knicks, these franchises that have lots of capital or steeped histories and cultures of basketball, uh, you know, that are kind of embedded in the city's uh, fabric. And so to see this kind of the, the logical extreme of the player, player empowerment era I think on the one hand is probably really good for particularly the players union and the players themselves in terms of controlling where they want to be and getting maximal ownership over the future of their careers. But there are some significant ownership and general management concerns. And I think in all likelihood, what we're going to be seeing is increased discussion about the possibility of a lockout until a CBA uh, gets done that is a little bit more uh, balanced, I guess would be the word, but we'll see. No, if I agree, because there is so much money coming down the pike. I don't think anybody wants to screw that up until maybe this, the CBA after that. But you might be right. Whatever they choose to do, because I see you know pluses and minuses on both sides. Like on one hand, uh, these longer contracts are also kind of protecting GMs from having to be better employers in a lot of cases. And 
you know, that keeps players from who would just quit a job and go someplace else from doing so as a regular worker would, right? But then on the other hand, there's a lot of intricate things that have been put together in the CBA to kind of keep the small market thing going the way it has been. And it has been successful with more player movement, but just because we've had some more player movement doesn't mean that if it all becomes being able to force your, your way off of a team like a year after signing a contract, that's necessarily going to continue this upper trajectory of popularity in the league or that it's even causing it. So whatever they do, I hope they take a lot of time to think it through because there's always these unexpected results that come up anytime they change anything. And whether it's trades or contract incentives or uh, overall earning, as best you can tell, do you think that the, I struggle with the term player empowerment, but I'll use it because uh, we're running out of time here. But do you think that right now it's uh, not enough uh, power in the hands of the players, the right amount, or it, it should go even further and the players should be more empowered? What do you think is uh, not what is going to happen? What do you think is the right and the just and the, the best way forward? Yeah, I mean, these players aren't stupid. <laughs> so so they they know what they're worth and and they I think really the thing that's important is giving them the amount of respect they deserve um as a player, as a human being, treating them well, treating them ethically, morally. Um, I think that's really important. And I think guys a lot of guys are waking up to that. Um, it was like really old school, like back when my dad played in the NBA, like you're talking like late eighties, early nineties, like, um, organizations could get away with a lot. They could get away, mm -hmm. they could get away with doing a lot to their players. Um, and now that's not the case because, um, things are more public, things are more open. And I think you see that not just in the NBA, but like across the board. I mean, you see people quitting their jobs and droves when they're not getting the respect uh, they deserve or they're not, you know, making the money that they, they think that they should. And so I don't, I don't think we should think of NBA players as any different than that. And um, they, they know what they want. They know um, they know what they should be getting. So, so I think, yeah, definitely. We're going to need to respect that. And um, just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see any major changes coming. Um, but I do, I do believe the players will, um, demand a certain level of respect, uh, from the organizations that they play for, uh, when it used to not be, that used to not be the case. Yeah. And I think, again, the intersection of the conversation we just had about how fans and fan bases react is pretty salient because it's one thing if, you know, you, you play for the Sixers and people are throwing batteries at you. Um, <laughs> but if you feel like the organization has your back, then maybe it's worth it. But if on one side, the fans are online or in person toxic or unfair or dangerous, and then you feel like your employer would sell you up the river if they could. I mean, I, as much as yes, these players are usually paid pretty handsomely and I would love to play sports for a living. I don't think that we get to just wholesale to the side. They have to put up with the batteries or put up with the, um, the front offices, uh, because uh, we won't talk about it really. Uh, we're going to wrap in just a second, but Steve Paliuca, the owner of the Celtics or one of the owners of the Celtics rather, rather just bought an Italian soccer team. I spent like three months grandstanding for that dude that the Celtics needed mm -hmm. to save his tax money. And what he just bought a 
a soccer team? I don't know. Um, so yes, Al Horford and co are well compensated, but probably underpaid given how rare their talent is in the market. Um, but that's the, that's another conversation entirely. Um, and we, I want to get you out of here. We, we took way too much of your time. We were supposed to talk about Tatum appearing on the old man and the three podcasts. I, I'm going to give you three quick questions that I'm, I'm sure, um, I know the answer to, but let's, let's do it anyways. Okay. First quick question, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, should they be broken up? No, thank you. No, that's silly. And they don't want that. And I mean, from what I know, and, um, it's just silly. No, next. <laughs> uh, Marcus smart needs to tone it down. He has it just right. Or he should turn the heat up in terms of intensity and leadership intensity. I think Marcus is just fine. He knows what he's doing. He's a strong player. Um, and of course, come the playoffs, he is going to turn it up. And um, I don't think anyone should be surprised by that at all. Um, and then uh, I guess I have a two-part question. First, have you met Deuce Tatum? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I have. And he's as cute as it appears he is? Yeah, he's absolutely adorable. And I'm not even a kid person. Like, I like Al's kids because I'm related to them and they're cute as hell. But yeah, no, he, he actually is. He's quite adorable. Um, okay, so then my, my final question is, does Jason post too many pictures of his son and they get aggregated in a weird way? Or no, it's, it's beautiful and wholesome and keep posting. I think it's beautiful and wholesome. I mean, you need something to lighten the mood sometimes, you know, and, um, and it's, it's always going to put a smile on people's faces and it's probably putting a smile on his face and, you know, his family's face. So just let people be happy, you know, let them live their lives. As long as it's not hurting anybody, no one should care. Sorry, Anna, the correct answer was Jason needs to actually post more deuce than he has been <laughs> posting. Or more yeah. pictures of that dog that he has. Oh, yeah, the, um, the <laughs> All right, uh, that was plenty of uh, fat we just chewed. And I mean, we could have gone another hour on a lot of those things. But uh, Anna Horford, you host the Horford Happy Hour podcast. Thanks so much for coming by. Uh, congrats again. And I'm, I'm sure we won't see you before the wedding so have a blast and hopefully we talk soon thank you guys so much if i get any videos of al dancing i'll sneak them over to you yes yes please. <laughs> um thanks everyone for listening like and subscribe if you already haven't and we'll catch you next week bye-bye